basically it's going to be you two arguing with me that I'm insane. We don't really argue about that anymore. We just go, stupid idea again. You're listening to Cinepunked, interactive discussions for film lovers. This episode. Maybe hi, Mr. Falcon. So, it's Christmas time again already. It feels like only a couple of months since we did our first show, which was also a Christmas show. So I'm uh, Robert J. Simpson. As ever, I'm joined in studio by Dr. Rachel Kelly. Hello. And my younger, more attractive, more intelligent, better skilled brother, Ben Simpson. Hiya. <laughs> I thought I'd up you a bit more because, you know, we don't say an awful lot about you on the show. You just sort of sit there in the quiet in the background making us sound good. Yeah, I try. It does feel like only since last week we did It's a Wonderful Life. That's just a sign you're getting old, Robert. Oh, gosh, that's terrible. <laughs> um, the days are getting shorter. <laughs> my life is getting shorter. Christmas traditions. Uh, do we spend all our Christmas in front of the t- TV watching films? Not all of it, but but it's good to have Christmas films on in the background when you're doing cool Christmas things like wrapping presents or doing Christmas cards. How, how do you watch a film and wrap your presents at the same time? Because I multitask. Does the film get your full attention? She's a woman. Exactly. It doesn't need my full attention because I've seen them like 11,000 times each. Uh, so I can basically quote them at this point. So which are your top uh, three Christmas movies for quoting? Oh, Christmas music movies for quoting. Well, it's got to be It's a Wonderful Life, obviously. I mean, that's just standard. Uh, Scrooged, naturally, mm-hmm. as well. And our, my, my, my very much favourite Christmas film, Die Hard 2 as we're going to be discussing today. Never heard of it. Ben, do you have favorites for Christmas? Um, well, just going back to my childhood, I would have listened to or watched um, sort of The Nightmare Before Christmas on Christmas Eve. I associate that with Christmas quite heavily. Mm-hmm. You know, growing up, we used to just sit and watch that and then off to bed before Santa comes. I have no recollection of being invited to watch A Nightmare Before Christmas. Well, Christmas you were Eve older, so... <laughs> I'm disappointed. <laughs> me and, I love that film. It's me and Becky just sat and watched it before we got told to go to bed, but you were always in your room, you know, being a moody teenager. <laughs> <laughs> I like this one already. This is, this is fun. Um, I don't recall watching Die Hard 2 ever at Christmas, though. That's a shame. I, I, I feel bad for you. So this has been a new experience watching it <laughs> before Christmas, you know. I um, I was around at a friend's house the other week, and they have basically never seen any Christmas movies <gasps> ever. So what? I was, I, yeah, I mean they've seen like a couple, like the classic Scrooge. Scrooge, ending. not with a D. No, no, actually, That's that is what we watched together. I, yeah. I, I brought a selection of um, films around, and we watched Scrooged together for the first time. Scrooge is that the one with with Bill Murray? Bill Murray, yeah. yeah. I, I was so glad that that's that, a really creepy movie. Like, it's fantastic. The Ghost of Christmas Present is one of my all time <laughs> favorite film characters of ever. Like the dude with the maggots and stuff. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, nasty, yeah. kind of, kind of scary. If you're, if you, I remember watching that when I was younger. I was like a wee bit freaked out by it. It, it's a brilliant film that never gets old. It, well, it mm-hmm. would have been my, my other one that I was going to suggest for this year, but Rachel gets the choice for Christmas. Because I had a big birthday, as you pointed out. That's it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, screw, Nightmare Before Christmas I love. I kind of feel that you should start watching that somewhere around the start of October and then stop watching it, maybe February. Do you, do you think because of the whole... Oh, uh, yeah, because it's like a Halloween Christmas crossover, and now the festive season's... Easter Bunny's in it too. 
Wow. So I can now bring it up to like, yeah. know, April, May. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm going to have to rewatch that again. Um, he's, in, he's only in it for a very short. <laughs> Not bothered. It's a Wonderful Life though is an interesting one because I know we talked about this at length last year. For me, it is still not, um, it's not a Christmas tradition for me in any way, shape or form. Well, it wasn't for me until I was an adult. Um, because it's not, doesn't have the same kind of following in the UK still as it would have in the like, sort that. of have evangelical you, following in, in the US. Now, if you've looked at our uh, local cinema listings for oh, yeah, no, every I, I single agree. cinema in Northern Ireland right now, it seems, and all the little film clubs are all screening It's a Wonderful Life over the I next... agree, but it wasn't, it, it's not something that um, has traditionally been a massive part. I mean, Mary Poppins is the, the UK Christmas film, isn't it, from my childhood anyway? Willy Wonka? Really? Willy Wonka? Or? I don't recall watching either of those. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, maybe? Oh, I remember, yeah, like, right. see, Chitty on Christmas Bang Day, Bang. there's normally, like, a load of uh, oldie movies. Well, when yeah. I was a kid, it was Bond movies on Christmas. Oh, yeah. It was always a James Bond movie on Christmas Day, and yeah. that made me very happy. And then at one point, Star Wars. Because I remember as a kid actually recording... Star Wars off the TV with a a cassette recorder. So just recording the soundtrack um, with a cassette recorder up by the speakers of the TV. Really? Yeah, I have it on two little um, week 60 minute tapes. Still have the tapes. Are you sure you want to admit to piracy on a podcast? (laughs) Uh, yes, I will. Oh, okay, fair enough. You heard it here, I, w- I was five. You know what are you going to do? Sue me for that? <laughs> as a child? Yeah, I think he's well out of the. It's statute of limitations. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But Die Hard has never been a film that I have thought of as a Christmas film. And that's because you're wrong. You see. Okay. Go on. Yeah. Right. Oh, here we go. Um, as as per our standard format, I'm going to make some wildly outrageous claims here, and you guys are going to spend the rest of the time just telling me why I'm wrong. But I'm going to cling to them with the zeal of a fanatic. Um, Die Hard is uh, as 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 all right-thinking people know one of the best Christmas films of all time, regardless of what Bruce Willis may or may not have recently said on his comedy roast. Um, the screenwriter calls it a Christmas movie. It's clearly, I mean, what what could be more Christmassy than um, a, a lone maverick New York cop defeating terrorists to bring his family back together? I mean, that's the true spirit of Christmas, isn't it? No, no, no. Die Hard 1 is the film that everybody tends to argue about as to whether or not it's a Christmas film. And I think that's fine. And I think we can all safely agree that yes, it is in fact a Christmas film. But why is nobody talking about Die Hard 2? Objectively, it's the superior film. I mean, Die Hard 1's great and all. And don't get me wrong, I love Die Hard 1. It has some Alan Rickman in it. Fantastic stuff. What it doesn't have is terrorists readjusting the level of the earth to make a plane crash into the tarmac. I mean that's so properly horrific. That's that's I, I saw that in an impressionable age, and it really stuck with me. I mean that's properly terrifying. That taps into like this really fundamental fear that humans have of flight. What happens if we mistake where the ground is and drive ourselves into it like a dart into a dartboard? No, what could be more Christmassy than that, Robert? I put it to you, Ben. <laughs> put it to me, asks Ben. <laughs> Nicely deflected. <laughs> well. Holy moly, uh, that was yeah. that was some rant. Wasn't it? Yeah, I'm not even getting started yet. You can tell she's been practicing. Oh, yeah. I love this film. Um, and and I think, you know, by the way, um, Empire magazine readers a couple of years ago voted Die Hard the best Christmas film of all time. I mean, that's over and above the likes of It's a Wonderful Life, Scrooged, the more traditional ones. But, you know... 
People are going to argue this. You know, it's not a Christmas film. It was released in the summer. Um, it only happens to mention Christmas. It mentions Christmas all the way through, by the way. And it has, like, Christmas backup music all the well, way through. Th- th- let's, let's give Ben a chance to, to, <laughs> to come back on that. Actually, did ask him. They're, they're getting scared by my crazy eyes. If you don't mind... Uh, I, there was so much information in that <laughs> I can't remember what the question was. Is it a Christmas movie? Is it a Christmas movie? It could be considered a Christmas movie because of, well, in my opinion, the time it's set in, the snow, mm. the Christmas decorations everywhere. But is it a Christmas movie? Well, what, what makes, is, a, Christmas what is Christmas movie? What makes yes. a Christmas movie a Christmas movie? And that's the thing. And if you see, if you look at these lists of, of the all-time best <clears throat> Christmas movies ever, there's very few of them that are actually specifically about Christmas. I mean, many of them are set around Christmas. I mean, Home Alone features there all the time. Um, what could be Christmassier than child endangerment and neglect? Um, <coughs> Mary Poppins, another one. It doesn't even set at Christmas. Um, Home Alone, to be fair, it's got a family bickering from most of the trilogy or whatever, however many there is now in that series, which... Let's be honest, Ben. It's exactly like Christmas. Oh, yeah, definitely. I wouldn't definitely know. Hearts, Christmas yeah. is always magical around me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> met your sister. I can't believe that for a second. <laughs> I'm going to make sure she listens to this one. She's going to kill you. Um, <laughs> I, I will concede that I mean, Die Hard and Die Hard 2 are very definitely Christmas films mm-hmm. in the sense that they are clearly set at Christmas. At Christmas, yes. I think people forget about Die Hard because most of it's set inside that tower block. Mm-hmm. So you don't see the outside world. Die Hard 2 feels more like a Christmas film in the way that maybe The Spy Who Loved Me feels like a Christmas film because there's loads of snow. Yeah, there's loads. Of, and it's also set on Christmas Eve. It's set on Christmas Eve. Explicitly well, set on Christmas yeah, Eve. It, it, with Holly's flying home for though. Christmas. What? It, it is. It's not Christmas Eve. When is it? It's the week before Christmas. Ooh. But the novel on which it's based on um, was set explicitly on Christmas Eve as well, mm. from what I recall. As if, was the, if I could pull it up now, mm. I would show you. I think, ladies and gentlemen, I'm glad that this is only audio and not video. <laughs> I do you know what I I know what you're talking about, Ben, as well, because it does talk about Christmas week in the movie yes. rather than specifically Christmas Eve. But yes. the it, movies, yeah. all the blurb around the movie talks about it being um, Christmas Eve. I think you're you're absolutely right. The it, film itself doesn't I, specifically I think, set it on Christmas I Eve. Think there's, I think there's a moment with one of the air traffic controllers where he talks about it being Christmas Eve. I'm pretty sure, or it's the the. the the dumb cop that does it. They talk, he, Carmine talks about Christmas week. Christmas week. Christmas week. I think the reason that this isn't a Christmas movie... Ah, <clears throat> heresy. ...is that it was released in the middle of summer. I, I think... No, no, no Christmas movie gets released in the middle of summer. Christmas with the Cranks would not get released in the middle of the summer. Not a movie that specifically sets out to be a Christmas movie, but isn't that... the, the whole? The, that's what's... The, I think that's the whole commercialism of, of that, that kind of cynical commercialism of releasing a film to be a Christmas movie, I think negates a lot of the Christmassiness of it. Um, I guess there's a couple of things. I mean, back in the 1990s, you could stick a film out and it would last in the cinema for months because this was the days before we had instant pirating and downloading. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't uncommon for a film to have a long run in the cinema. And maybe in your genius cynicism, you could stick a film out in June or July and it would still be running six months later. The only things that I can see do that these days are things like Lord of the Rings or perhaps the Star Wars or Harry Potter. Um, but generally speaking, you do not release a film that's ex- explicitly a Christmas movie in the middle of summer. It just doesn't work. So it's really, I, I find it fascinating to think that both those first two films are, now I thought of as Christmas films, but okay. they were marketed 
entirely for a summer blockbuster audience. Now we're now we're getting to the question of whether authorial intent is is the same thing as audience reception, which is clearly not. Yes. But the third one. Mm. Oh, we don't talk about those. Why not? It stops at the it, the this, the franchise ends after Die Hard Two. There's absolutely nothing happens no, no, after no. that. What about Die Hard Four as well? Four point oh or whatever. It's 4. Called. What, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Uh, that or was that not three? No, no, it's three. Uh, there's I, there's I a good thing Die yet. Hard, live, and then live. there's Live Free or Die Hard. Oh, they're all just nonsense. After Die Hard Two. I thought. Three was actually three good. was it was borderline. Yeah, there were bits of three. Obviously, Samuel L. Jackson raises this and, and Jeremy Irons, but but you know they're kind of rehashing Die Hard One, only not as good. And I think the, I the real the real brilliance for me of the first two is the claustrophobia of the settings. Once you take that out, and let it happen anywhere at all that you you want it to, it just starts looking like an ordinary blockbuster. I think the problem is John McClane cannot realistically keep on finding his family in peril in small condensed spaces randomly. And he's turned, he's very much turned from being sort of Mr. Joe Everyman, who's like, oh my god, I need to save my family, to yeah, I'm ripped and full of muscle and adrenaline and super pumped and I'm going to go do the action hero thing. Um, which is, is a massive misunderstanding of the character. I think my biggest bit of affection for the Die Hard series was that Ben used to have a game on the PlayStation, the Die Hard trilogy. Die Hard trilogy, yeah. I used to love playing that <laughs> yeah. as a kid. Yeah. It was Bill. Um, so see how high up on, on the first one, see how high up the building you can... <laughs> the floors you can actually get before you die. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it was and brilliant. The second one was just a shoot 'em up. So literally, you're going through and you're picking off the terrorists. Yeah, in the them. airport, you just it like it's like it's like Time Crisis. I don't know if anybody's big gamers out there listening, um, but if you ever played Time Crisis, it's kind of based on that light style of game. So it's like you're constantly moving. You don't have any control over like where where, 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 where the character you know. goes, but you can. Move the camera around, like where you're shooting, and that you just shoot amazing. bad guys. It's brilliant. It's almost like you're on a travel air the whole way through, and just people coming at <laughs> you constantly. And then they didn't really do a good job on the third one, on the third one, because no it was kidding. just driving a taxi around. Oh, you know, so. you see, you see, though, though, but like in game wise, it I'm, wasn't that good. But I, I, I loved it. I mean, I played that a lot, and I'm not a big gamer. Um, but I'm not. I'm a terrible. I, I would I, genuinely I like to play that. I think it's up there in one of these boxes. <laughs> Uh, right, let's wrap this up and play some games, guys. <laughs> we're just going to go to switch to Twitch now. For <laughs> it's, uh, what's, your, what's your Twitch handle, Ben? Uh, it's Blademan03. Okay, so Blademan03, you'll find us on there now. <laughs> playing Die Hard. <laughs> Outstanding. Um, so, I, I mean, uh, th- th- okay, let's, let's tease out this whole releasing a, a Christmas yeah. film in the middle of summer. Like, does that not seem bizarre? Well, if if they had intended it to be a Christmas film, then yeah, that would be a ridiculous idea. And clearly they didn't intend for it to be a, a Christmas film. So it's but not a Christmas film? No, no, it's just what I said there before. I was, you know, we, we got onto a, a different conversation. The the question is, you know, whether authorial intent is the same thing as, as audience reception, and it's not. Um, you know, you can have all these intentions of having just, you know, your straightforward blockbuster Christmas or summer blockbuster film. Uh, the audience receives it as a Christmas film. So therefore, you know, audience reception is a much more powerful uh, meaning maker than authorial <clears throat> intent, clearly. Ah, but <laughs> could theoretically every movie be a Christmas movie? Yeah. Depending on traditions and what you like to do. Yeah, absolutely. You can make, like, I mean, I think you, you've, got, you've only got a real kind of massive argument for it when a lot of people decide that something's a Christmas movie, otherwise yeah. it's just your Christmas movie. Yeah. I think probably it comes down to uh, 
it comes down, I think, those things like scheduling. So when something happens to be screened one Christmas and everybody happens to watch it. Mary now, Poppins. Now, that's the thing I think that we've lost a little bit of now because yeah. TV doesn't work in the way that it used to. Yeah. yeah. But when we were all younger, you know, you tended to, to sit down and you, you, you know, you're flicking through the radio time. Ah, the, the good films old days. That are coming on for the first time. And you know, that thing where it says on that premiere. You're like, oh, that was so exciting. Like, oh, 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 what am I going to, I've got to plan my Christmas day around what film's going to be on when. And, um, and, and that's what you would do. And, and some years that was something that just became very magical. I mean, this is one of the things I, I think I talked about this on uh, Neil Sedgwick's Films and Faith podcast a while ago when we were talking about um, horror films. One of the things I got really into was horror films, and a lot of those I always used to watch really late at night. But there's a couple of Christmases where, like BBC and Channel Four, would just screen loads of them over the the over the Christmas break, and I devoured them. And that for me mm. then created an association between those films and the Christmas period, the same but, way the Bond yeah, films or the Carry Ons or whatever. But horror and Christmas have a kind of a they have a kind of a symbiotic relationship anyway, don't they? From Victorian times, they do. So in some respects, I guess Die Hard Two is pretty horrific, and therefore it probably does fit as well into that sort of slightly modern twist in the Victorian Gothic horror. Yeah, there was a couple of brutal, uh, brutal terrorist deaths in that. Were there? Yeah, yeah like crushing the, the somebody's guy get, head. Yeah, the guy getting crushed in the the baggage thing, and yeah, that was it's the ice pick. Uh, it's, the, it's icicle. The, the icicle, the icicle, the icicle, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then your man getting sucked into the jet of the plane, which oh, I'm pretty sure standard. Everybody would have broke the engine. Like that's, that's the whole opening episode of Lost. <laughs> <laughs> even even Firefly does getting sucked into the engine of the the the, the, the flying thing, but. Yeah, it, it's um, there's an awful lot of stuff like that. Um, Robert Patrick briefly pops up in this yeah. as a kind of villain. I'm like, ooh, ooh, he's got a line. He's got a line. No, he's not. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. Oh, 1990. That 1990. film was 1990. That was released. 28 years. Yeah, which old. makes Die Hard 30 years old this year. So 1990. Ben was two. I was two. So <laughs> holy moly! <laughs> God, you guys are so horribly young. I hate you. I was I was, te- I was nine when this came out, so I wouldn't have seen it in 1990. It would have been a few years after that. Well, it was, a, it was an 18, so yes, it would have been some years after that. Yeah. But, Otherwise, again, you're admitting to breaking the law on a podcast. Uh, with parental consent, you can do different things. Not in the cinema. Oh, it wouldn't have been in the cinema. I wouldn't have seen it in the cinema. wouldn't yeah. be allowed in. Definitely would have been breaking the law. I mean, I did look at it again recently um, with, with a view to watching it with my niece, who's 12. Um, and I, right, my thought was, you know, this is probably fine. I mean, you know, 1990s. Yeah. 1990s certificates of change. Our yeah, morals certificates have changed. It's probably, it's probably completely fine. And then your guy got his head crushed. And I went, yeah, no, <laughs> this is an 18 for a reason. I was like, yeah, people were so much more prudish about the F word back in those days. It's probably just because he says fuck a lot. Uh, really isn't. No, there's a lot of really gruesome deaths in it. Um, I actually... Speaking about the swearing, it feels really clumsy for me a lot. Yeah, I know. That classic line, I mean, you can't listen to it without a little snigger these days because he delivers it with such ham. You know, yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Um, and just, it's, it's just like, but it's fantastic and you're still air punching because it's like <laughs> iconic, but you're still a bit like, oh, <laughs> just, I remember this sounding better. <laughs> yeah. Whenever I watched it again there, I was like, mm, that's, that, that line's pretty dated now, hasn't it? It hasn't, it dated, hasn't held up. Dated or cheesy. I mean, it's, it's been so parodied. Um, just, it, it, 
I, I don't know when, I mean, who ever thought that was a good idea in the first place? Yeah. <laughs> you know, where did that come from? I thought it's no different. I mean, catchphrases are one of those things that, you know, you tend to find with your characters. And it's probably something that, that came up in the first one. And then once that stuck, I mean, again, it's, it's about audience reception. When an audience latches mm-hmm. onto something, that becomes the catchphrase. Mm-hmm. You can't decide what's going to be a catchphrase because yeah. when they try to do them, they just don't work. No, no. exactly. Yeah. Um, weirdly, the first of these films was in development for a number of years, and Frank Sinatra was originally yeah. down to to do the. Well, do you know why uh, that McCain was? Role. Do you know really? why that yeah. was? Wow. It was because it was this this the book that it's loosely based on was a <clears throat> sequel to a book that had been adapted in the 1960s into a film starring Frank Sinatra. So contractually, they were obliged to offer him the role of John McClane when they they adapted this because he was contractually attached to the adaptation of the first one. And he was in his seventies when they offered this to him, and he went, uh, "No." <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then they offered it to just about everybody in Hollywood. Sylvester yeah. Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger, among Richard the names. Gere? Richard Gere. Richard Gere was one of them as well. Harrison oh. Ford. I can sort of see Richard Gere handsomely going through, you know, the the tire sort of just. But, there's, but, but Bruce Willis brings that kind of blue collar everyman to it, which I think is absolutely integral to the character of John McClane, which is why the later sequels just don't work at all because he's Mister Pumped. You know, uh, Hollywood action guy by that stage, and he just doesn't ring true in the same way. Like, oh God, I just want to get home to my wife. Mm. Um, yeah, but then Bruce Willis by the later films are just playing the same character that Bruce Willis plays in every film now. Yeah, yeah by that stage, he's playing Bruce Willis. Because, I mean, it's a sort of a reminder recently he's, he's in Death Becomes Her. He is. That's right. Oh my God, I've forgotten that. Do you remember? That? Have you seen that ever? No, no. I, I, no. It's another one we should probably cover it at some point. But we it's, should. It's a strange film, and he's he's very different. It's not mm-hmm. Bruce Willis as we sort of recognise him today at all. Um, the man has a bit of range and a bit of a bit of talent, but yeah. he does fall into this sort of this type. Um, I mean, he wasn't a big name star either. Whenever he was he was cast as John McClane, no. he was best known for Moonlighting. At that point, he was a TV star. Done, I think, a little bit of film. But Can we talk about his superhuman powers of deduction? Yeah, let's talk about that. That'd be well, fun. he's no Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> well, like, well, he, yeah, he's no Sherlock Holmes, but he's pretty damn good. Like, I mean, he, he's he's sitting there in in the. I mean, basically, it's, it's when he's sitting there in the lobby in yeah. the airport, and he's watching, which any I, good cop does. Well, his terrorist alarm goes off. It's so beep, 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 beep. Those two guys walking around doing nothing particularly suspicious or definitely terrorists. I better follow them into baggage reclaim. Is that what you mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it turns out that he foils an entire international terrorist plot. But then he's already, has he already seen the colonel at that point? Yeah, he bumps into the colonel. He's like, he, you, he does you know. familiar. Yeah. He does know he's forgotten who he is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think subconsciously that probably will set something off in your head. And then he's sitting there watching those guys. And to be fair, when you watch someone gently, discreetly kicking a bag underneath a very exposed table to somebody else, and the way that they're handling it, you're kind of going, yeah, okay, that that's not the normal way we do it. If I'm going to give you a bag, I'm going to say, here's your bag, Happy love. Happy yeah. <laughs> you know, you take that, and I'll be off. That's mm. fine. But no, it's... it's. I mean, he probably thinks it's drugs. I don't think he thinks there's a terrorist attack that's happening. It's just once he gets in there and they start shooting at him, mm. it's pretty inevitable that, okay, this is a little bit more serious. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the thing about the film is that it doesn't stand up to any kind of unpicking afterwards. You really, you've just got to switch your your interrogation mind off to watch this. You know, most of the most of the film relies on ragdoll physics to work. Yeah, um, it's it's just really stupid, and I think a lot of the reviews said that at the time. It's like really stupid, but it's fantastically good fun. 
Um, but there is there is something. I mean, it's actually in some respects there's something quite um, quite intelligent about what it's doing, in the sense that you can't trust what's going on. Again, it's about perception. So I love films that kind of play about with this idea, but what you see isn't actually what you're seeing. So with this, a lot of what you see is not actually what's going on at all. Like down to the fact where they they basically set all that explosives off in a, the old abandoned church that aren't actually explosives at all. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and you, the, the, oh, by the way, the 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 bit where he fires the the blanks at at Carmine mm. in the I mean that's just maybe this is like a, a 21st century um, watching where I kind of wish going, there was bullets in that gun there <laughs> he's he annoyed the absolute hell out yeah, of me he's, he's supposed to be that really hateful character but that bit where he he starts firing at, at your man he's kind of cowering I mean I watched that with my husband my husband went yeah you're totally dead now John McLean aren't you <laughs> Um, you don't fire a machine gun at a policeman in a police station um, and expect to survive, even if it's blanks. You know, police are trained to kill you yeah. for uh, doing that. He's white. Well, yeah, that was my comment as well. So, yeah, you know, that there's, there are certain different rules, which is a very, there's an unpleasant reality that we find ourselves in. Yeah, but that, but if that was Samuel L. Jackson firing that gun, Samuel L. Jackson would be on the floor riddled with bullets. Yeah, I know. This is the unpleasant reality that we find ourselves in where we are forced to conclude that. But, but though, it's mm. a movie. Yeah. And they're in an airport. I'm pretty sure they. Well, the whole airport should have been shut down, yeah. regardless. I mean, him going, you know, oh, there's some people, and I've got all these people coming here. So you think I'm going to close down the airport? Yes. Yes. I think. I mean, you end up having to do that anyway, yeah. but. <laughs> I mean, and certainly today, if you'd make that film again today, I actually think it would make quite a good uh, film if they redone it now. Mm. But but now you're you've got the the whole. I mean. Mobile phones have ruined a lot of dramatic tension. The, the fact that you have absolutely no means of communicating. Yeah, got, we got jammers you can use. I mean, there's plenty of times you go through an airport and you can't get a cell reception because they've got whatever it is they've got there that stops yourself from actually working. Um, I think we're also very, very attuned to airplane disasters in a way that they weren't in 1990. Like that just has a resonance when you sort of when Colmini's flying that plane into the ground. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I, well, also, I mean, watching it with with a, a small child who did not, I I hasten to add, get past the bit where where the gruesome stuff started. We went, oh yeah, that's why it's an eighteen, and, and turned it off. But you know, this this twelve year old watching going, what, but. But why are they carrying parcels through security? I'm like, oh, my sweet summer child. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember the days when you were just like walk through security and they're like, what's in the present? Oh, Christmas present. Oh, cool. On you go. Like, <laughs> totally taken on trust. Now you can't walk through with a bottle of water. And it, it, John McLean's smoking in the airport. Going, why is he smoking in an airport? Like, and what's a fax machine? <laughs> <laughs> oh, to be fair, fun. we do still have fax machines. Yeah, but she would never have no. seen one. <laughs> it's like email, but with paper. Yeah, well, that was literally her next question. So was it two computers? Like, oh, no, it wasn't two computers. We didn't have the internet in 1990. What? How did you live? Um, I was pretty sure there was some kind of form of it. Um, 1993 was the whole sort of internet kicked off. Yeah, to, no. well, I mean, was that or, not like... Internet. ARPANET existed before that, but... Um, sort yeah. of in terms of a public internet that yeah. like, you and I can use. Yeah. yeah, it's much later. I mean, certainly it was... I don't remember really getting online until, what, <clears> 96, 97? 97, I got my first email address, and that was because the university <laughs> demanded that I had one. Blah. <laughs> That's my uh, <laughs> that's my dial tone. That sounds familiar. God, do you remember that when it took half oh, an hour just to log on? I know. Yeah. 
Uh, and you couldn't use the telephone because everyone else was online. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, but then, like at the start of Die Hard, he's, you know, she's like, "Yeah, honey, it's the '90s. Remember microwave ovens, uh, air phones?" And he's like, "Whoa!" To be fair, too much technology. My God, it's still quite fancy because you're, you know, well, generally speaking, you're not allowed to use a phone no, on a mobile no. on an airplane. I still don't really understand. I mean, that must have been mobile phone technology. I don't really understand. Um, I guess, is it satellite phones, which are slightly different uh, in the way that they work? Um, okay. And you can use your phone on some airlines, from what I remember. You can't, because I remember hearing that it's actually nothing to do with jamming the, the airplanes. It's because the uh, mobile phone providers, you're going in and out of cells and they couldn't charge you properly. Uh, so it's actually, it's because of that. It's nothing to do with, with interfering with um, airplanes. Which is a really good way of making you not do it because I don't want my plane to crash. They tell me that you can't do this or the plane's going to crash. Um, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, I don't even want to think about planes crashing. I've just been my first big flight for a long time. And I'm kind of like terrified. I did that, did that on Friday. Watched Die Hard 2 last night. Yeah. I, I really <laughs> didn't feel good this morning. You don't get a lot of Die Hard 2 playing on airplanes. No, yeah. I wonder can I bring a little portable device and just stick it on? <laughs> yeah. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Die Hard 2? Well, the Christmas entertainment. I mean, we should be talking about this. I know the, the whole argument is about whether or not Die Hard 1 is a Christmas film. And I mean, I think clearly we can all agree that yes, in fact it is, and, and the greatest Christmas film. But, you know, Die Hard 2 is objectively more Christmassy than well, Die Hard 1. Die Hard 2 also got a much better reception. It, 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 not a much better reception. No, no, they, no. Both, they both did fantastically no, no. well at the box, box office. Box office, Die Hard yeah, 2 it did, twice, did yeah. twice the money that Die Hard did. Yeah, well, it had, I mean, it had the advantage of having Die Hard before it. Yeah, but a lot of sequels don't... Diminishing returns. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't make more money on the second film than you do on the first. You, you see, do all right. Yeah. But you, you're not guaranteed the big... And Die Hard 2 was unusual because it actually made... Twice as much as the first one did. That that's pretty darn good. With a, a a budget that was twice the size as well. I think. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you crashing planes. And die hard too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, in conclusion, therefore, yeah, we're all agreed that Die Hard Two is um, both a Christmas film and a one of the best Christmas films of all time. Yeah. Ben. Um. It's a provocative it, comment that it, it's challenged. Yes, it could be considered a Christmas movie, but again, it all depends mm. on what you consider a Christmas, a Christmas movie. movie. So we still haven't established this, and I think that's probably what we should take away from this today. What defines a Christmas movie? We, should, uh, we does, should put a poll up or something, maybe get you guys to uh, interact and ooh, give your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. well... You know, when you see all these these polls on what people consider Christmas movies, I mean, some Meet Me in St. Louis, you know, is one that I've never seen, but I understand there's very little Christmas connection there. I mean, well, I think we sort of touched on this. The stuff that gets screened at Christmas doesn't have to be set at Christmas. No. And some of those films then become sort of seasonal traditions. I mean, do you remember when Lord of the Rings was in the cinema? Yeah. Uh, that was Christmas. That was my, my family's Christmas movie viewing for three years. Um, the first, the second and the third and you know they were big budget Christmas movie events but these days we don't tend to think of them as Christmas movies I certainly don't think of them as Christmas movies um, I probably would be more inclined to watch it at Christmas would you? maybe because you have the time for them like they're 12 hours long each aren't they? 
Uh, that is that's not. That's what a, we need to do. We need to watch the extended version yes, back we do. to back, Absolutely. all three, <laughs> and do it. like a super long, three-hour-long podcast. You guys can get rid of your kids for a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> you know? If I, you know, if if it's for work, then I I have to, don't I? You know, if it's for work, uh, I love it when I can sit down and go, yes, tonight I have to watch Die Hard two for work, and it's true. <laughs> Oh, I love my life. Oh, um, yeah, so if, if a Christmas film doesn't have to be set at Christmas to be a Christmas film, um, but if it does, does that make it a Christmas film? If it's set at Christmas, yeah. does that make it a Christmas uh, film? Or how much of the film has to be set at Christmas for it to be a Christmas film? I see. I think, right, normally movies that are set at Christmas, majority of them refer to the big red man. But they don't, though. I mean, do they? You know, love Actually. Like they, love, okay, they. Oh, okay, we, we we will not talk about Love Actually now because that, that is a whole separate kind of diatribe for me. You think oh yes, you, this is this is Robert just just roaring into a microphone for forty five minutes about Love Actually. Yeah. I can't stand that. No, I I'll, I'll agree with you wholeheartedly. I hate Love Actually. I like bits of it, but for the most part, it it just doesn't. It really just turns me off. Like in my opinion. Uh-huh. Like a Christmas movie is about Santa or about family and Christmas Eve and presents. So Die Hard 2 definitely covers that yeah, because. It's about family. Um, Santa doesn't get an actual mention, I don't believe, but it is about family and presents are, are, are you know, front and centre at the start. Oh, there's definitely a Trojan horse in there. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It's the gift that. Stops you from giving ever again. Hippie <laughs> <laughs> guy, yeah. Um, yeah uh, so, doesn't, so, but if it's set at Christmas, I mean, if you have what, like, couple months, is that enough for it to be qualified as a Christmas movie, or do you have to have like loads of the film I, at Christmas? I think loads of the film has to be done at Christmas. Okay, interesting. So, I mean, no, I, I would agree with that to to a large extent because, for instance, the the rock opera Tommy is partly set from the at Christmas and the key plot point there but it's like a tiny bit of a, a much bigger film and I would never ever qualify that as a Christmas movie yeah but there's a way that it feels wrong to watch Christmas movies in the middle of summer oh yes absolutely I would never watch Scrooge oh, yeah. in the middle of summer that just seems strange to me but, but Die Hard, die hard both, too. both of the Die Hards were released in the summer and but I think that's because of the well. content in it because it's a it's a terrorist plot that you know, but it sort of just means. I mean, I always feel a little bit guilty when I listen to a Christmas record. Yeah. And so, if I take my iPod on shuffle and I suddenly get, you know, here comes Santa Claus playing on it, and it's July, <laughs> I'm probably going to skip through as much yeah. as I love that song. Whereas I, I spend the entire month of December listening to Christmas playlists. But that's only December. But we don't do it in the middle of summer. Mm-hmm. But then yeah. you have like something like Die Hard, even though it's. Obviously, a Chris, if we're not taking the line that it is a Christmas movie. We are taking that line, yes, we I believe. don't mind. You know, if that comes on in June or July, we'll kind of go, yep, all right. No, you see, I wouldn't watch it in June or July. You wouldn't? I wouldn't. It's, it's exclusively a December film for me. That is, that, that's done in the background while I'm, ra- watching, uh, while I'm wrapping Christmas presents. So it's like if you were going to do a Die Hard marathon and watch them all back to back, you'd have to skip the first two. <laughs> no, all four. I, I don't know what you're talking about. There's clearly nothing past Die Hard 2. You, the franchise ends after Die Hard 2. What? And then you got to get a loaded weapon in there as well. Hmm? you got you got to watch Loaded Weapon as well. Loaded Weapon? Mm-hmm. Why is that? John McClane's in there too. Bruce Willis is John McClane. Is a Loaded Weapon briefly, yeah. Oh yeah, Lethal Weapon is a Christmas film too, isn't it? Um, it's a Christmas, yeah, it's a long time since I say, what? actually I need to watch Lethal Weapon again. Lethal yeah. Weapon's 
Yeah, yeah, the first one. Um, it is, it is. It's it's that lovely message of Christmas suicide, if memory serves. Christmas suicide. That's it's a wonderful life again. Oh yeah, good uh, point. There's another. It's a wonderful life. Hardly any of that film takes place at Christmas. It's bookended by Christmas, but we think of it as being the best Christmas film ever. No, um, Odd Man uh, Out. Weirdly, I would, I would disagree with that. But <laughs> Odd Man Out, I think of as a Christmas film, and I think it's mostly because of the snow. I'm not entirely sure when it's set, but it's clearly winter. Actually, it's, cliffhanger. Yeah, I need to watch that or whatever it was. Oh, cliffhanger! Now there's a proper <laughs> stupid film that yeah, great fun. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Christmas because snow. Yeah. I do kind of feel snow in a film does make it Christmassy, and that's the only reason to watch it at Christmas. It's like, ah, I'm going to watch it. Ah, there's snow in that one. Yep. yep. Oh, wait, Rocky. Yeah. Rocky. Yeah. There's no snow in Die Hard, though. It's set in LA. No. Yeah. There you go. Threw you for a loop. Mm. And voted the best Christmas film of all time. By the readers of Empire Magazine. Yeah. Yes. Empire I Magazine readers are trusted. people of taste and discernment. I'll have you know. I, I think our the audience subscription. is. subscription. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect our audience is more little white lies kind of readership. Well, I, you're missing out if you miss out on Empire. I used to love their, their movie on, you know, movie quote on the spine thing. But of course, now you just Google it. Um, but, <laughs> but I got it one time and it was really exciting. <laughs> so, yes. any closing thoughts? Uh, ben, I'll give you a chance first because otherwise you'll never get in there. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's implying that I might take over slightly. I don't I, know why. Die Hard 2, definitely. If you haven't seen it, uh, where have you been? Um, it's, uh, it's a good movie. Good watch. Uh, I'll leave it up to you to decide whether it's a Christmas movie or not. Um, I don't remember ever watching it at Christmas before. Um, I never really used to have that association with it, but uh, watching it now, now that it is Christmas, um, uh, yeah, it definitely brings a different spin on things when you think about it like that. But that, watch it if you haven't watched it. It's a top top film. Yep, Die Hard 2. The only way in which it's not superior to Die Hard 1 is the absence of Alan Rickman. I mean, putting Alan Rickman in a film automatically improves it. Um, but yeah, Die Hard 2, the greatest Christmas film, possibly. Yeah, it's certainly up there. I have a lot of greatest Christmas films, so it's hard for me to, to choose just one. But Die Hard 2 is my essential Christmas viewing. Even if I don't watch It's a Wonderful Life, I will always watch Die Hard 2 at Christmas time. Die Hard 2, a film entirely about uh, bureaucracy, idiocy, and uh, uh, terrorists hidden in plain sight. It, it just ticks all my Christmas boxes. Um, I'm so glad that I watched it again this year. <laughs> I, I, I don't think this is going to become a Christmas edition for me. Oh dear. But oh, listeners, man. you may feel very differently. Um, next year, goodness is what we're going to cover for this. Probably Scrooge. I think we should do Scrooge. Well, we probably should do. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would love to. Uh, at some point, we're going to have to do the Love Actually one as well. Oh God, are we? Yeah, I think I we actually, should. I own it. I mean, I own it for. I had you, to buy own, it for, you own Love Actually. I had to buy it for research purposes once. Uh, how I, did you acquire the rights for that? Oh right, okay, very good. Ha ha ha! Christmas <laughs> joke. Ha <laughs> <laughs> um, So uh, I think that's us. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for listening. Um, as usual, my thanks to uh, Dr. K. Yee. Uh Mr. B. Uh, all the best and Merry Christmas. And uh, me, uh, RG. Uh, we'll see you again very soon.
And uh, in the meantime, if you haven't got enough of us, you can catch up on our It's a Wonderful Life podcast via our website and all your favourite podcast streaming devices. Uh, you find us on www.cinepunked.com. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Cinepunk Film. Uh, we're on Twitter. Just find us everywhere these days and uh, join in the conversation and give us your thoughts as well. Check out our website for details of all our upcoming events whenever you're listening to this. Till next time.